Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast with your host, Evan McElwain. Welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm Evan McElwain, Bowery Capital's Director of Growth. And this week, we're joined by Kevin Michaels, VP of Sales at Process Street, to talk about the most important traits for early stage sellers. Great to have you on the show, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Kevin, tell us about you, your background, and the current company where you're leading sales at Process Street. I think for a software salesperson in Silicon Valley, I got my start where most people do, and that was in global shipping, working with union labor in the LA Harbor. So I've come a long way since I initially started working. The experience most people like to hear about is I was pretty early at a company called Box, which is now most people in the, in the Bay Area and tech know about Box. Pretty early there and saw it go from sub 10 million over to 100 million in public company. And then from there went to another company called Intercom, which a lot of people know about as well, which was a similar growth, except they haven't actually made it to go public yet, but are definitely on that trajectory. The one thing that I really like about the two experiences there was at Box, I got to see that growth from an AE perspective. So just being an, IE, an IC. And then at Intercom, I got to see it from a leadership perspective. And so I have now been a part of two hyper growth companies and been able to see it from two different vantage points. So I think it gives me a unique perspective now being in this role at Process Street. What's the deal with Process Street for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, so Process Street mission is to make recurring work fast and faultless for teams everywhere. and. What that really means is that if you have anything that you do reoccurring, which I think most of us do in our job, then what we want to do is we want to automate that. And not that we think that anybody's lazy, but I can put myself in those shoes. And if there's something that can be automated, I would want to automate it. And if you can do that, then what that means is that if you have anything that is recurring, you could have an inconsistent process around that. And so we'll make that consistent for you. If you're moving data manually from one place to another place, uh, that's not a good use of a person's time. It's much better suited for a machine. And so we can set that up to have data move uh, on its own. If you can't have visibility into your processes to actually see what they look like, well, then that makes it nearly impossible to actually improve what those processes are. It's almost like the saying, you know, what can't be measured can't be improved. Well, in this case, if you can't see your process, well, how would you actually make it better? And then finally is that if you have all your processes that are stored in let's say maybe one or two people's heads, and then that person goes on vacation or they go on paternity leave or maternity leave, well, then it could be you're stuck uh, doing something that you normally wouldn't do and you don't know how to do it because you don't do it. Or you could be on vacation and someone has to call you because you're the only person that knows how to do that. And so what we want to do is we want to take that stuff out of those people's heads and then put it down an easy to follow process so anybody can do it and it can be done to the level of standard that you would want every single time. So being so focused on process just as part of the nature of your product, I would imagine that that makes you even more process oriented when it comes to being a sales leader and actually creating a repeatable sales process there. Trying to, yes. And also just for, I think for context for kind of our conversation today, give us a sense of how many employees, what kind of stage are you at from a company perspective as you're starting to grow the sales team? So we're a little over 50 employees globally distributed. Process has always been fully remote. So when the pandemic hit, that wasn't a new motion that Process Street had to go through. We raised our Series A, let's say a little over a year ago. It was led by Excel, participation from Salesforce Ventures and Atlassian Ventures. And we have over 3,000 paying customers now. Great, all right, that's really good context. And one thing we always like to ask before we get into the topic is what is one thing that no one listening to this podcast will know about you? I was born in Yosemite Valley. And so if anybody's ever been to Yosemite, there's the, the valley portion of it. And there's a small medical center 
there. And I was actually born in that medical center because I was early. And my parents were on vacation and it was going to be their last vacation before their third child was born. And then I came early. And so it was a very rustic setting to be born in. And if it was me, like with my own kids and I had to do that, I just would have been flipping out and I don't know how they did it, but they did it. <laughs> cool. That's a, that's a fun fact for sure. All right. Well, Kevin, let's set the stage for folks a bit. Today, we're primarily talking about early stage sellers, the most important traits to look out for. How would you define kind of early stage for the context of today's chat? Is it kind of that series A, seed stage that, that more process street is at? What do you think? Yeah. And I think this is almost in the eye of the beholder type question. What's early stage? What's late stage? Early stage to me is when you've moved beyond just focusing on product development and getting your product out in the hands of people. And now we're actually going to start thinking about how do we sell this thing? And we just want to get more revenue and get some more customers while it's building product. And we're not so much focused on becoming efficient and you know possibly thinking about an exit down the road. And I think that's generally going to be your late seed, series A and series B companies. Yep. I think about it the same way. And it's definitely that kind of moment where you start shifting away from the product-led customer discovery calls and more towards like the sales-led sales calls where you're actually trying to figure out like, okay, we really position this to sell it, not just asking like, well, you know, what do you want it to look like? So let's dive into it. Maybe a good structure could be we go through each of the most important traits. Uh, I think you have six or seven in mind. I'll add, you know, one or two of my own. And we can also touch on not only what the traits are, but also why they're important, how to screen for them in the interview process. And, you know, for some of them, if we, if either of us have kind of a fun story to share, we certainly can. So Kevin, hit me with the first one. What's the most important of the traits that you want to chat through when it comes to what you're looking for in a sales rep? Yeah. So I think that the one that I really look for, and I think is they're all, it's like picking your favorite child. It's really hard to do, but one that I think is really important is just hiring someone that's curious. You always want to say like, yes, hire someone that's curious, namely if you're in sales. But the reason I think it's extra important when you're early stage is because you need to be curious about everything beyond just this customer that you're our prospect that you're talking to. You want to be curious about yourself because if you're going to correct, you're not going to have the resources around you that are going to help you get better. So you need to be able to learn and just think about yourself and what am I doing you need to be curious about your company. So if there's any processes that you have that you think can be better, there's not going to be a staff of sales operations or revenue operations people that are going to be thinking about that as their full-time job of how to make this one thing the best. And so if you're constantly thinking and just being curious about how you're doing things, then you can have an impact there and improve processes. And then finally, just your colleagues, you're going to be mixing with a lot of different people than you probably otherwise would if you're in a much bigger built-out org where you're going to be more siloed. And in this case, if you're just curious about everyone around you, you'll be able to build better relationships by getting to know them and what's important to them. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an important one that really does transcend, obviously, the external stuff that you were speaking to, like, you know, in, in a discovery call, like really figuring out what are the use cases? What, what are the real pain points? How does this actually sit in terms of a priority for the prospect? But especially internally, too, because you are working so cross-functionally it's kind of so early stage where you don't even really know where the problems are going to lie. You need that curiosity to lead you to find those bottlenecks, to find those problem areas that you can then apply yourself to help fix. So I, I really like that. So we've kind of talked about like why this is important, which I think most people, when they hear it, they'll think, okay, some of this is quite obvious, but how do you actually screen for it in an interview process? If, you know, if you're trying to get to know a new candidate throughout an interview process, how do you figure out if they have this quality? The thing that I found to be most effective is giving someone a test. And it 
doesn't have to be you know, a circle A, B, or C test, but rather to do something. And when doing that, you want it to purposely be not point by point by point and to connect the dots. You want to leave a little bit of room for someone to have to go through and figure it out. And the reason that it's really important is because how is that person going to go about solving that? How curious are they going to be to solve this problem that's in front of them? Are they going to go search the web? Are they going to look at YouTube videos? Are they going to go check out help docs? What are they going to read? Are they going to listen to a podcast to try and get to the bottom of how do I solve this problem that's in front of me? And what are the resources available to me to get to that answer? Yeah, I think the other interesting element there too is once they've gone off and kind of used their own resourcefulness to solve that problem, whatever it is that you've kind of presented to them, it's also interesting to see what questions they come back with. And are these questions that are like really well thought out that would be kind of hard for them to figure out otherwise? Are these questions, are they just kind of asking them for the hell of it? Or like, are they really kind of relevant, smart questions that would actually help them better solve the problem? And just getting a sense of how their mind works that way is just another secondary indicator that I've seen come out of those types of exercises. Yeah, it's amazing sometimes how you'll see someone come back and they'll list the date of some video that they watched on YouTube about it. And they're like, well, this may be dated because of this. And so it's a nice attention to detail to share something like that, of like they're noticing being curious and looking around of what's in front of them. You know, we don't have to get too, too tactical here, but do you have any kind of go-to problems or a specific sort of scenarios that you like to use, or does it really just depend on the company that you're at and in something specific to your own product or market? Yeah, I think it's relative to what you're selling at your company. So at Process Street, because we connect to a lot of other tools, you have to be able to talk to that, what that's like from one piece of software connecting to another piece of software. So that's part of the test is what does this actually look like going from? If you were to connect one thing to another thing, like, can you do that? In other lives, I've done something around building out an actual territory plan of how would you approach, given this territory, how would you go and approach this and make it work for you? And then just see like, what does that person come back with of how are they gonna think about how they're going to approach their territory? And then more importantly, back to your previous note around the questions they ask, what kind of questions are they going to come back with and ask you as you're thinking about how to plan all this out? Because early stage, not a lot of resources. They're the ones that are going to be building this out. They're the ones that are going to have to answer the questions. I'm not going to be able to look to my sales engineer and say, hey, you know, can you pick this up for me? You are the person that has to be able to answer these questions. Right. Yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, not only are they going to have to figure out their own territory plan with what they're given, they may also have to help figure out, should we even use territories or should we be account-based or like, how do we roll that out? How do we, you know, what's like the fair, equitable, but efficient way to do this as we scale the team. So yeah, I love that. It's kind of that, that right balance of it's enough direction that they can kind of get started, but it's also kind of vague and high level enough where you really get to see the creativity. And if they're able to operate in that more nebulous gray area where there's not just an exact, you know, right or wrong answer. Yeah. And just to note that company, there was no territories. We just wanted to see the thought process of someone going through it. I love it. So, all right, we talked about curiosity. Give me another one. Tolerance for unstructured environments. You're coming in to a place where there's not going to be a lot of structure. And so I need to know that you're going to be okay coming into something that just does not have a lot of structure and unstructured and structured, there's probably a spectrum and that's relative to each person of where you'd fall on that. But generally speaking, 
if you're coming from a big public software company, that's going to be highly structured. Coming into a series A or series B or seed stage company, there's not going to be a lot of structure and you're going to be left to your own devices to figure it out. Yeah. Working kind of day in, day out with early stage sellers in my current role at Bowery, this one is so important. And especially when you think about the kind of screening process, because I don't I don't know how much this one can be taught. And if it can be, it takes a lot of time. So a lot of times it really does need to be kind of vetted out in that interview process, whether it's through a conversation with a candidate or by kind of looking at their background to see what roles they've been at previously. How do you vet for it? You know, and is it questions that you ask? Is it as simple as like, hey, have they been early stage before? In which case I can kind of check this box. How do you go about it? Yeah, so I think you, you hit on the points perfectly. If they've been at early stage, then it's like, okay, Talk to me a little bit about when you walked in, what was the environment like? What tools did you use? What was your playbook? And, you know, most of the time it's going to be like, well, we kind of use this and this and like playbook. Well, we didn't really know what that was versus a big public software company. Then you would want to say something or even later stage, just what's a time when you didn't have something hundred percent outlined for you. How did you make sense of it? And were you comfortable with it? Were you uncomfortable? Yeah. And to be fair too, because you do see pockets of this, even at the bigger companies, if they're launching a new product line or building out a new team or building out a new channel, you do still see those kind of very creative unstructured processes where they they do need to create something from scratch and a new playbook or what have you. And so I think that's a great point. Like it's not, it's not necessarily a total write-off like that they, that they won't have this trait, but it definitely takes a little bit of digging to see what those examples look like. Yeah, that's a great example. I was part of this new team that we built out for this new channel partnership. I would really want to dig into that and understand, oh, tell me more about that. That sounds like that's a really good experience that that person gained. And do you connect this trait with the sort of level of management that a person requires? Like for instance, if you think about an early stage seller, sometimes they're reporting directly to the CEO. Sometimes in a case like process trait, they'll reporting to you, the VP of sales, but there's not like many, many management layers where someone's listening to every call and giving you feedback, you know, every second of the day. And sometimes a lot of that to your earlier point on talking about curiosity does have to be like self-led where you need to be able to be self-aware and introspective and listen to your own calls and think about what other questions you could have asked or how could you have gotten to that next step better or planned for the call better, whatever it is. Do you sort of connect those two or is that, or is that unfair? You know, should, should you kind of leave their management requirements as a separate topic? Kind of. So I think in this case, if someone's really uncomfortable without a lot of structures and boundaries around like what they're doing and how what their day should look like every single day, I think what you're going to do is you're going to get a lot of questions as a, a leader and it needs to be more, you know, at that point, how much time do you have in your day to really be focusing on those things at an early stage company, you know, you probably better spent doing other things, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool, so we've talked about curiosity, we've talked about tolerance for unstructured environments and just kind of the ability to thrive without a ton of structure. What's the third trait that you've got top of mind? This is one of my favorite ones and responsible mindset versus a victim mindset. And so at the highest level, what I mean by that is just, if I'm a victim, I believe I'm a bowling pin. I'm just waiting to get hit. I, I don't control anything that happens to me. And if I'm a responsible mindset, I believe that everything uh, is in my control and I can take action. And the reason I think that's really, really important is because early stage, you're just not going to have a lot of resources and you're going to want someone that is not afraid or is willing to take action when they see something and will act upon it. And so 
that's as you're growing and as you're figuring out what the, the company should be doing, you want the people to be helping you do that. And so you want them to feel in control and that their actions have impacts and that they'll take those actions and see what the impact is and how that benefits or doesn't benefit the company. Yeah, this one's, I really like this one and I'm sure you've seen it because like the earlier stage you are, it's like the more unknowns there are, which also another version of that is like the more excuses. And so <laughs> what, what I see all the time, right, is like this sort of, and some of this is sometimes valid and other times it's overblown, but there's always this tension early days between product and sales and not just early days, right? Just startups in general. There's always going to be that kind of, well, we need this feature in order to sell to this type of client, or we need this custom integration in order to sell this enterprise deal or like whatever it is. And yeah, if you've got that victim mindset, like you're talking about, I think that can just be crushing early days when a lot of the stuff won't be built out on the product yet. And you may need to kind of sell on vision, you know, get some LOI signed when something's not even really out in market yet and whatnot. So I can see how important that would be as a VP of sales trying to hire out a team, making sure that they're set up for success and, and have the right kind of qualities to do that. Yeah. I think it, and it dovetails with the first one we were talking about with curiosity. If I'm really curious and I see something that can be done differently or better, or I want to test, then I feel that it's in my own control and in my power to actually do this and see what happens. And it's upon you as a leader to make sure that the person feels psychologically safe. That's a big one that, you know, just make sure the person doesn't feel like they do something that there'll be no negative repercussions. Yeah. And, and it is like, you can have the same bit of feedback that's presented as a complaint or an, or an excuse, like, oh, the product doesn't have this, or you can flip it and have that responsible, like, hey, how do I fix this? How do I be a better teammate and collaborate and go to the product team saying, hey, like this is consistent feedback I'm getting can we do anything about it? How's this being thought about today? One of our early sellers from the portfolio, this came up and they ended up collaborating with the product team to build out a very customizable kind of demo sandbox so that they could really give prospects a real taste of the value of, of what they can expect, which I just thought was such a great example of taking responsibility to figure out a way to make it work and plug those gaps as opposed to just throwing your arms up in the air being like, oh, well, I, you know, I can't. That would be one of those things where if that comes up in, a, in an interview, whoever that person is, I would tell them they should say that every single time. But you can ask for kind of stories like you're talking about. Any other ways that you screen for this when, when you're talking to candidates? The, the thing that I always ask is, what's your biggest failure? And this can go a lot of different ways. And so I've also learned to bookend that in business because sometimes you'll get some, some very deeply personal stories. What's your biggest professional failure? And you're not really listening so much for what the failure was because we've all failed and we've sure, all made mistakes. What you're listening for is does a person, A, do they own the mistake? And do they offer up, you know, this is what I've learned from it. That's kind of the holy grail that, I, that I've noticed is that they can own the mistake and they talk about this is why I don't do that again. This is what I learned from it. That means there's some really good self-reflection going on, being curious about themselves. And that means that they'll own something internally at your company. And if they make a mistake, they're not going to blame other people. And then they'll learn from it. They'll self-correct and be able to move forward to do something else again. And the big red flag there is if I fail because of, you know, X, you know, didn't do Y when they said they were going to do it. And the, the marketing Z. team screwed me again. <laughs> yeah. The leads are so bad. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Where, you know, you really in a small company, you know, series A, series B, you're growing. There's going to be a lot of growing pains. You know, you don't want people that are going to be, when something doesn't go right, they immediately just start blaming other people. 
it's also interesting too, because what you're starting to get into as well is, is just screening for culture because things can get toxic so quickly when the team is small and you know, they're going to bring in folks that are kind of like them. And so if you get that wrong in the early days, it just gets to be a messier, messier problem. And so I kind of like there that you're taking into that and you're saying like, well, is this person going to be, you know, a team player that takes responsibility and tries to really kind of own their own destiny and, and, and own up if they make a mistake or do they just like to point fingers and offload blame because yeah, I mean, you want to, of course, avoid those, those toxic cultures where you can. I, I really like that one, you know, the kind of responsible mindset versus victim mindset. What, what about the, the fourth trait that you look for? Growth mindset. So you're going to be learning a lot at an early stage company about everything. And so is this person, are they going to be along for the, is it about the journey or is it about the destination? Because it's really got to be about the journey because the destination is unknown. And as much as, you know, I wish we could all say, this is exactly what's going to happen at this date in the future. You know, series A and series B, it's generally just not the case. And so you really want someone that is going to, learn and be willing to reinvent themselves time and time again, because the company, if it's successful, it's going to grow and it's going to change. And the processes are going to change and a lot is just going to happen and they have to be willing to grow and to learn. And if you think that this is the way it is and I should never, you know, this is me and, you know, this is, this is how I operate, then it's probably not going to be a good fit if your company sees, you know, success and you keep growing. So when you, you know, when you think about growth mindset, how do you identify this in candidates or is there a way to vet for it? Do you just look for folks that have kind of been there, done that and seen growth before, or maybe they've had, you know, roles where they've helped multiple companies grow? Are there questions you ask? Like, how, how do you identify folks that exhibit this trait of having a growth mindset? Being at companies that have grown from series A to series B and beyond is really good because they at least know what's around the corner mm. and they know what to expect. They know that things are going to change. Process is going to be layered in and it's not going to be this way forever. So at least their their mind already knows what's coming and, and what to expect. And if, if they get to a certain stage and they hate it because it just doesn't fit their personality, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Then, you know, then that's usually when they'll jump ship and go to back to another series A and start over again. The way to, to screen for that, I always just ask is, how does someone prefer to learn? And the reason I ask that is because if you tell me I really like to, you know, I really benefit from being in-person trainings and, you know, my sales enablement team is just great and they're always producing collateral. And every time we have a new feature release, you know, we have a test through our LMS and, you know, that's just like works great for me. Well, then you would know as a series A or series B, like, okay, we don't have these resources. So like this person's really, their, their brain's not going to be happy trying to learn here. So the question I would ask there to see is this person's, you know, are they going to be able to grow and learn and adapt with the company? And do we have the resources that will match, you know, at least how they want to do that? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think this one too, probably starts getting into like what types of questions or concerns they're asking you as the hiring manager, the person that's going to be managing them, should they come on board, are a lot of the unknowns around the future or around the sales process or what their territory is going to be or like whatever the unknown is, if that's giving them a lot of anxiety or if they seem to be really concerned about this stuff, then that could also be an indication of like, okay, they're, they're not going to be like excited necessarily about these challenges. They might just be more like worried and sort of kind of caught up by them. I don't know if that's another kind of indicator that, that you've seen just, just as you've, as you've kind of done this before and, and hired out teams. 
Yeah, absolutely. They, I, I, you know, we're podcasts that people can't see, but I'm, I'm nodding along. Yeah, the, you know, and it could be in completely unrelated question if someone asks, do you have a 401k matching plan? Like, well, like you may have to do some level setting of what actually, you know, an early stage company is like and what resources they're going to have available to them. Right. I think getting the expectations down is absolutely critical to having someone thrive and, and, and be successful at the company and, and also just having them enjoy it too. I think that's a great point. All right. So we've talked about growth mindset, kind of why it's important, how to screen for it, all that good stuff. What do we got next? What's number five? Willingness to test. If you don't test, you're just not going to know what works best. And there's you know, really big tech companies out there that are public and they know to a like the nth degree of like what is going to work and like how much wiggle room you should have to, to make something better. Early stage, you just don't know yet. And so you have to be testing all the time. I, I asked the, the team, 25% of the time you should be testing. 75%, you know, kind of go back to what you know works, but one of every four calls, one of every four presentations, one of every four demos, test something new, see what happens because that's the only way you're going to find out if there's a better way to do it is you have to do it a different way. And every time it may not work, but a lot of times, you know, you, you may find that new way to position something that just lands a lot better. And when you say test, do you mean it sort of as broadly as possible? Like, Hey, you should be testing, you know, copy in your email outreach. You should be testing different kind of sequence design when you're doing your outbound campaign. You should be testing, you know, different talk tracks of your demo, maybe test like skipping a sales step and see if you can shorten your sale. Like, do you mean sort of like just test everything you can or, or is, is it more specific than that? Like how, do you, like, how do you think about it? No, I mean, test everything yeah. that you can. Yeah, like there's no, nothing set in stone, I guess, at this early stage, right? Yeah, so I tell people when when I'm interviewing them, I say, if you're going to look to me for the answers, well then like keep looking because like, I don't know, I'm looking to you. Like you tell me, like the way we should do this. You tell me what's the best sequence. You tell me if we should cut out a cell stage because you're the one that's living and breathing this every day. And I'm going to look to you for those answers. I want you to fill in control of what you're doing. And I want you to be curious about what's the best way to do this. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to give people the answers for that. I want to collaborate on what that should look like. Yeah, I, I love that. Because for me, having kind of been on the sales side of things, also as an IC and, and a manager, that was always the fun stuff, right? Like getting to test and getting to get creative and getting to try to do something new and really use that other part of your brain, not just going through and, you know, answering the same objections and covering the same features and, you know, but really getting to think creatively, like, how do we improve this? How do we, you know, kind of embracing that owner's mindset? And I think that it not only helps you kind of get the most out of your team, but I think it also is what attracts people to be early stage sellers and, and kind of keep going back to that early stage to begin with. Yeah. And the only point, additional point that I say is like the onus is on you, or in this case on me, is that you want to make sure that the environment is psychologically safe. So if you, if the people don't feel like they can go and test because there's going to be some negative repercussions down the line, well then guess what? No one's going to test. And so you just have to make sure that that environment, everyone knows that they're safe to ask questions and make mistakes and test something that, you know, what probably half the time or more, it's just not going to work. The mistakes aren't going to be catastrophic. It just won't work as good as the other thing you're doing, but you'll never know if you don't test. 
Yeah. And that means a lot, I think, as a sales rep to know your sales leader kind of has your back in that way, you know, with the rest of the exec team to say like, no, like we gave them budget to try this new thing. It didn't work. And that's great. We learned from it. And we can kind of put that in the internal wiki and playbook and, and keep going and keep iterating. That goes a long way for sure. Okay. So we've talked about willingness to test as an important trait that you look for. How do you screen for it? The question I like to ask is just what's the time you went outside the box to, to find a solution? And if it's someone that's coming from another similarly early stage or has been early stage, that person I, I would bet will probably have some like really good examples or if they don't have really good examples of where they were testing something, then that's probably, you know, someone that maybe if this is a trait you value, they may not be the best fit. But I would assume that, you know, even your experience being a, a series B, there's probably like some good examples that like you could come up with to be around like when you went and like just tested this new thing. And then we could, you know, talk about that for a few minutes. If it's someone at a, a bigger company, then like what we talked about earlier, it could have been like they're part of like some new feature launch or some new partnership that happened. Something that was around that, that they had to go outside of the tried and true method of the playbook that, you know, you cannot veer away from. And so that's where we'd want to explore that is just tell me a time where you had to go outside the box and it's just going to be relative to the company if they're at yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think it's also will, would be interesting as well just to hear in their response how much of it was like, oh, I went off and did this versus like, oh, it was very cross-functional and, and you know, they were collaborating with either teammates or people from other departments to get involved because oftentimes these tests do involve other people, right? Whether it's like testing something with marketing or testing something with, you know, product or like how you're customizing demos or whatever. And so that, that tends to end up playing an important important role in the way that they approach just kind of iterating and, and having that kind of always be testing mindset. And so just a quick recap here, Kevin, we've talked about curiosity, tolerance for unstructured environments, having a responsible mindset versus a victim mindset, also having a growth mindset and having a willingness to test. What is the sixth trait that you had in mind? The, the last one that I noted down was communication and why I've learned that this is important. It's something you should be thinking about is because depending on where the person is coming from, they're going to be speaking with different uh, types of people that maybe where they are now, they don't necessarily interact with all the time. And so if you're in a big later stage company, you're going to probably play within like your own sandbox, like pretty well. And you're not going to talk to a lot of other people. Well, now you come to a 50 person company where you have to interact with the CEO. You have to interact with maybe the chief product officer or, you know, just like a regular engineer that's, that is building something. And so it's really important that this person knows how to speak to people that aren't just like them and do their role all day, every day. Yeah, I really like that. And I like how you focus so much too on like the internal component of this because they're going to have to communicate with so many folks internally of different personas and different kind of personalities, you know, not even kind of getting into the external stuff where they're talking to stakeholders, sometimes C-level stakeholders and going to need to be crisp and polished there. But yeah, the internal stuff can be just as important early on with, 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 with roles like this. And, you know, I've seen early sellers as well, even sometimes present to the board about yeah. the deals they're working on because they know it inside and out or, or what have you. And so being able to kind of be that high level facing is critical. Yeah. 
Cool. And this is also, I think, part of what, again, attracts people to this kind of role is the opportunity to interface with the CEO, to interface with the chief product officer, to, you know, get some board exposure. I think that's really exciting for, for a salesperson, you know, who's not just stuck in one of, you know, thousands of people as part of their kind of sales army. No, they're really getting to help shape what this looks like. I think that's, I think that's really fun. And if you're a, if you're a curious person, and then you tell a curious person, oh, you're going to be able to interact with all these other people. Like it, you'll see their eyes light up a bit around, oh, wow, I'll be able to learn a lot. I'll be able to ask questions. And like the, that dovetails into like a growth mindset around just you'll be able to do so much more. Yeah, they are really all kind of interconnected when you lay them all out like that. And I totally agree. It's like, well, they have that growth mindset to then think, wow, I can I'll learn so much. I'll get so yes. much exposure that I can then use to either be a better salesperson or if I want to go be a manager or if I want to go start a company, like I'll just be that much better off for it as a result. I think that's really cool. Well, I guess uh, on the note of communication, is there a certain thing you do to screen for it? Do you just kind of pick up on it and throughout the interview process, just given that you're going to be seeing the emails that are writing to you and you're going to be listening to them on calls, like, is there anything else that you do to really screen for it? If I have any concerns, what I'll do is I'll, I'll have them interview with someone else and get their feedback to see how that interview goes. And I'll say, just chat with them for 30 minutes and then maybe give them a few suggestions of, of questions to ask. So it feels like there is some structure to it, but what I'll do is just have them talk to someone in product or have them talk to, you know, someone in engineering so they can say, how was the conversation? You know, where, do you think this person, if they had, if you want to talk about a feature request or some customer has a problem, are you going to be able to sit down with this person for 30 minutes and talk to them about it so you can really understand like what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, that's quite a cool tactic, you know, bringing in somebody who's not necessarily part of what you would consider the sort of standard hiring stakeholders for that type of role. Because um, normally they'd meet with, you know, any other salespeople, they'd obviously meet with you, they might meet with like a sales engineer and CEO. And so that's quite, I think that's really smart and creative bringing in like, you know, a product manager or, or somebody just to get another perspective on, hey, would you like working with this person? Do you think you could communicate well and, and collaborate well? And so, Kevin, there was one last trait that I wanted to get your thoughts on that that when we started talking offline about this topic that I immediately kind of gravitated towards. And that is the, the trait of, you know, being able to kind of balance ambition, which a lot of early stage sellers have. That's why they go to the early stage. And this is ambition to, you know, make a lot of money, crush quota. This is ambition to move up and accelerate their career either kind of vertically or maybe somewhat laterally, like, hey, I want to be VP of sales, I want to be a CRO, et cetera, which is a good thing. You know, I think you should be ambitious and I like working with ambitious people. But the need to sort of balance that with the business necessity of being heads down, closing deals, owning your number. Sometimes you're the only or one of very few revenue generators of the company that are kind of holding a bag. And even if you have the potential to be a VP of sales or director or kind of whatever that next milestone that you're chasing, they may just need you to be heads down closing deals and kind of staying focused on the target. And so I would love to just kind of get your take on that and any experiences you've had to kind of managing through that because it, it does tend to be something that comes up with early sellers because um, you get them excited often like in the interview process, like, hey, this is going to be a place for you to grow. This is going to be, you're going to have all this opportunity if you do well and, you know, kind of sky's the limit sort of thing, grow with the org. But then also there's a sort of an appropriate cadence and in, in time where that can happen more organically versus someone getting in seat and just being, you know, ah, okay, like 
when are we having that VP of sales conversation? I want it kind of now, now, now. Have you dealt with that? I'm just curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of people will join a serious early stage company because it's a way to leapfrog certain steps. Like if you go to a big company, you know, you there's a lot of bureaucracy to get into leadership roles. Early stage, not so much. I try and screen for that. My first call actually is where I ask the question of what are you looking for in a company? And it will surface like, oh, I'm looking for a company. Like, give me an opportunity for, you know, in a year, I want to be in a leadership role. And I just am very direct and upfront and say whether if I think it's possible or it's not possible. And I've had to pass on really good candidates because they want to be in the leadership role in, you know, X number of months. And I can't promise you that. And if anybody does promise you that, like, I would ask a lot more questions at that point but I can't promise you that you're going to be in the leadership role. I appreciate the ambition. Like I love it. And that's certainly a path that I'd want to get you on. And I think that's like any person in my role, my job is to help get you there. Like that's, that's what I want to help you do. But you know, I don't know when that's going to be. Right. Yeah. I like that. So it's all about kind of setting expectations early, getting aligned and just kind of getting that out of the way up front so that you don't get six months in. And then it's a harder conversation because then they're, you know, they're already ramped and you've already invested time and resources. And if there is misalignment, it's going to come to boil eventually. So may as well vet that out as soon as you can in the process. Just like any discovery call, that's one of the discovery questions you want to get out right away to make sure that when you do get six months into, you know, a relationship, if you would have known at the very beginning, it wouldn't have worked. Yep. That's a really good point and a great parallel to what you see in the sales process too. Well, those were all the traits that I wanted to chat through. I think that was a really good summary. Just to quickly repeat the ones that we did, curiosity, tolerance for unstructured environments, responsible mindset versus victim mindset, growth mindset, willingness to test, communication and balancing ambition with the need to be heads down closing deals. Any other final thoughts, tips, tricks you want to leave folks with to, to summarize? I always say, always ask the same questions to avoid any unconscious bias. You want to make sure that you're leaving yourself open to get the very best candidates. And so always ask the same questions in the same order and try and do it in the same tonality so uh, you can eliminate any unconscious bias. I love that. I think that's really important. And clearly you put a lot of thought into your own hiring process, given that you have specific questions you share with us today that you like to ask. So I really appreciate that. Kevin, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on and chatting through all this. I think this is really actionable. You know, a lot of folks are hiring kind of Q1, Q2 this year. I think this is really kind of some good tips for folks that are that are trying to to grow their early stage sales team. Um, so thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. And that's our show. So if you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 